Hello and welcome to the Bliss Bean Show. I'm your host, Patrice, and on this podcast, we talk about how to design intentional days, create meaningful work, and get more out of life. Welcome back to the Bliss Bean Show. Today, I'm finally back with another episode with another person because I've had a little bit too many solo episodes, so I hope you guys didn't get bored of those. But I have a guest um, today. I am talking to Esther Fung. I found Esther on Instagram, which is probably how I find most of my podcast guests. So there's a bit of a recurring pattern on the podcast. But today we are going to be talking about her experience in teaching, as well as a big career decision that she made recently. So I'm going to let her tell that story. But thank you so much, first of all, for being on the podcast today. I'm really excited to talk to you. Thank you, Beatrice. I'm really excited to be here. Let's do this. Okay, so I thought we could kind of go chronologically. And so my first question for you is, what was your experience like studying to become a teacher while you were in college? Um, And did your expectations of what teaching would be like while you were in college differ from what the actual teaching experience was like when you started? Um, So... As background to kind of set the scene, I went to William & Mary for undergrad. Um, I was an English major. I did classics minor. I've always wanted to be a teacher. That that has been my plan since I was a little. And William & Mary, like a lot of schools, has a five-year program where you would do your four years of undergrad, and then you would do a summer session and then one additional year at the grad school, um, and then you would get your master's in five years, basically. So the first four undergrad and then one additional year. So that's what I did, and I really liked my cohort. Um, There were, I want to say like only 10, it was a very small group of secondary English teachers. And it was just, uh, the group of us, most people wanted to do high school. There was like a few, like three or four that wanted to do middle school, but you get your degree for secondary ed. And I really loved the experience. I loved how everybody had their own different philosophy or approach to teaching. Um, Some people knew they wanted to do private. Actually, I wanted to do private at that time as well. Um, Some people were very much like for projects and hands-on learning. Others were more comfortable with research inquiries. But everybody, even though everybody had their own different approach, Everybody still, you know, loved teaching and it was a really great environment where everybody was really excited about student teaching, about getting out there and learning as much as we could. So that was, um, it was a really great environment and my professor was fantastic. I actually taught her son and they're just, they're wonderful. (laughs) Yeah. I'm curious um, to hear about, you said that some, or a lot of people wanted to teach in high school, some people in middle school, some people in private school, some in public schools. Uh, as someone who doesn't really know much about the teaching field, I don't really know, like when you say pri- teaching at a private school or a public school, I'm not sure what the difference is. Like, do you get more freedom in different environments? What were the reasons that people had these preferences? And maybe like, why did you, why did you specifically want to teach at a private school, for example? Um, so public schools are funded by the federal government or the mm-hmm. state government. That's where they get their money. Um, Public schools, you teach to everybody. You can't turn anybody away as long as they're zoned for your area. So if a child lives in a neighborhood that is zoned for my school, we can't say we're not going to accept you. Mm. Um, That's the basic 
just um, private schools are they they get their funding through tuition and private donations so they can be selective with who they want so some private schools do lottery systems some you have to apply some is just tuition based but those are the differences public schools because they take funding um they are also subject to standardized tests so like in virginia it's the sol test when i grow, grew up in pennsylvania it was the pssas every state has their own standardized test that students all have to take um, and the standardized test results affect the school standing and affect funding. Mm. Private schools do not have to do those tests. So if a child went to private school, they would not um, need to sit for any of those exams. Um, in terms of teaching, I was a teacher assistant for Choate Rosemary Hall in Connecticut when I was in high school. It's really posh. <laughs> um, they had their own helicopter pad. So that's like the level of posh. What we are were they using about. that for? Field I trips? Know, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I wanted to do private school because you get more freedom. You don't have to teach to standardized tests. Yeah. Um, but the pay is a lot less. Oh, really? In private schools. Yes. And you don't, some private schools are okay if you don't have a master's or even a teaching license. Like, let's say you have a master's in English, but you don't have a teaching license. Some private schools are okay with you teaching, as long as you do background checks and all of that. Uh -huh. For public schools, you do need your license. Mm -hmm. um, so I originally wanted to teach private because I loved my experience at Choate. I did intramural dodgeball. We did field trips. Oh. It was a fantastic experience. Um, but then I ultimately switched to public school because when I was in school at the time, there was a lot of talk, um, especially from Betsy DeVos and her team, about parents being able to put more kids in private schools. Um, which would take funding away from public schools. So I don't want to bore everyone with the politics <laughs> of it all, but um, I ultimately decided to go into public school. But I've always wanted to do middle. I've, I love middle, uh, middle school. I love, I've taught 6th, 7th, and 8th. I've also taught 2nd. I've done 11th. I've done 10th. But middle school has been something I consistently came back to. I wanted to ask you actually about um, if you have any insights I guess about teaching middle schoolers because I guess when I look back to middle school I just it was a really weird time because it was the first time that you I feel like had to take school seriously <laughs> but it also like didn't yeah. didn't matter at all because everyone was telling us oh it only yeah. starts mattering in high school so it was like this weird mm -hmm. limbo transitional period um but why why do you like working with middle schoolers basically um I feel like middle school is really a time of exploration and discovery mm -hmm. and it's just so magical because you're discovering the world but at the same time you're also starting to discover who you are and you can see kids change a lot in that year um i taught sixth grade this past year and i could see them the person they were in september was not the person they were in june yeah um and it's it's really exciting as kids like discover like i don't like this book <laughs> I do like this book or even like I don't like this kind of person or I do like this kind of person um, so you really I think it's really exciting to watch them explore who they are and explore the world and be like oh this is really cool or this is not for me I'm gonna try something else mm -hmm. so that's that's why I consistently come back to middle school also the elementary school kids are a little bit too baby for me <laughs> they need a lot more hand-holding yeah um, and the high school kids are 
I feel like in, in my experience, high school kids, they don't want as much hand-holding. They're just kind of like, all right, just tell me what to do. I'm going to do Too it. Too cool right, for fine. school. <laughs> uh, yes, exactly. Like, I'm over this. It's fine. But, like, middle school, it's really cool because at first they'll be like, I don't know how to do this. It's too hard. And then, like, if you're just like, no, you can do it, then they're like, oh, my God, it wasn't that bad. Oh, my God. Aww. Okay. So that's, like, that's always really, really special. Do any specific memories come to mind where your students made you proud or surprised you in any way? Uh, well, so this past year, they did a research paper on the Black Death. So they researched the Black Death, and then they wrote a research paper comparing the Black Death to COVID-19 mm-hmm. um, as it, in terms of not the science of it but in terms of how it affected different people according to their socioeconomic class their gender or their religious beliefs and a lot of kids really zeroed in on like oh well back then a lot of rich nobles kind of quarantined in their mansions but they Mm -hmm. still had servants bringing rations and food and supply in and out and a lot of kids connected that to DoorDash drivers or Uber drivers or grocery store workers who were still out even when everybody was secluded so that was really impressive that they made that leap on their own um so that was a really big academic win for them in terms of as people um there were a lot of little moments this year like a kid asking another kid for their pronouns or like one boy was making this joke that was very problematic and a girl another girl said she had the best response she was like I don't understand what was funny can you please explain to me what you thought was funny and he was like well uh and she was like (laughs) you know yeah um she didn't she wasn't like that's rude or that's racist and she could have but then it would have led to a whole thing so by asking that question I thought that was a really great way of putting it back on him. There was another mm-hmm. moment where we were talking about, we were just chatting about um, sports teams replacing certain mascots that mm-hmm. are offensive. And one boy was like, one boy said, oh, I don't know why people all of a sudden are so sensitive. And another student said, I think people have always been sensitive, but we weren't listening. And I thought that wow. was such a, like, that was also another great response from 11 and 12 year olds. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was really, really impressed. I was also very proud when they went on vacation for spring break and brought me back snacks. A lot oh. of them did that, and that was <laughs> that was a good. Well moment. done, <laughs> A plus. <laughs> that's so that's so impressive. I've been listening to some podcasts about how we treat kids in society, like as mm-hmm. a as a very general issue of how we mm-hmm. look at kids, sort of as not complete human beings who who don't who like can't think for themselves or like we shouldn't we shouldn't pay attention to what they're saying because they're just kids but really like um I think they made a really good point in this one episode when they said that kids think completely logically they just like don't have all the information that adults have and I feel like like when I hear stories like yours about how kids really do understand the world better than we sometimes give them credit for um I don't know, it just really makes you think. It makes you think about how you interact with yeah. the kids in your life, basically. I agree. I think they, they know a lot more than what's than what we would expect. Yeah. So let's move on to talking about what teaching was like during the pandemic. Cause I'm sure it okay. was it was harder to have those moments of like personal connection and um yes. just 
I don't know, not, not enjoying the school experience as much. So how did students and parents kind of cope and react with uh, learning from home? And how did you personally cope with having to teach from home as well? Um, so for my districts, we, let's see, it was March 13th of 2020. It was, we, we hadn't made any plans. And then March 13th, it was a Friday. And I remember because I went to see Emma after school that day. Mm. But they made an announcement right before the buses came that students weren't going to come back on Monday and Tuesday so that we could, the staff could, like, meet and make a plan for what might happen. So it was originally just two days. And we had a staff meeting um, just to check in and the principal was like you know like bring stuff home just in case but right now it's just two days and then Monday came around and they said it's going to be two weeks of people being at home mm-hmm. um, and leading up to this point I had been talking with a lot of other teachers and being like this district has closed this district has closed and a lot of the veteran teachers made a good point that they didn't think we were going to close because we feed a lot of students in our city So Mm -hmm. they were saying that if they closed the schools, then they would need to figure out a way of getting food to these families. So they were like, we weren't going to close. And then at the end of the two weeks, they said we weren't going to come back ever. And that stretched, um, the online teaching stretched. Um, Starting in fall, we we didn't come back in person until March of this year, yes. Mm -hmm. Um, So we were at home for a year, and... Starting in September was when we really did online teaching. Um, We really had a plan. We took it seriously. And I would Zoom with my kids during the class time. And some kids really flourished. There were Mm -hmm. kids who were saying, I would always do badly in school because... And I feel like I would have been one of those kids. I would have been too distracted with all my friends and whatever. And I wouldn't have been... Because when I was little, I always got in trouble for talking too much during class. Because I was just like, I don't care. I just want to play with my friends. Um, So some students did really well because they said it was nice being at home and not having as many distractions. But then another half was like, actually, I would say two-thirds of the kids wanted to be in person. um, Because they felt like it was, especially for like 11-year-olds and younger, it was a lot of, you need to figure it out on your own because there's only so much I can do. Um, And especially in September, there were a lot of, There was a lot of frustration, very justified frustration from parents and family members Mm -hmm. who are trying to figure out how to how to read a middle school schedule, how to read an online middle school schedule, how to figure out Zoom, how to because we use Canvas. That's our learning platform. So how to use that software. Um, So it was definitely very frustrating for a lot of families and some students really did not enjoy online teaching but others really really did and I actually I really liked it zoom you know the private chat feature is Mm -hmm. fantastic because when I was in the classroom you know there would be kids who are scared to ask a question because they don't want to look dumb or they don't want because when you're in middle school a lot of them are like oh my god if my crush looks at me I'm gonna die (laughs) a lot of them are just like that yeah um so the private chat, I had kids who would only talk in the private chat feature. They wouldn't mm-hmm. even post in the public chat. But that was really, really great because at least they were talking. They could have been kids who would never talk in person. Um, and then also in the classroom, I'm always worried about kids' safeties. Um, just keep making sure everybody's staying in their seats. Nobody's accidentally hurting each other or purposely hurting each other. But with Zoom, you don't have to really worry about that. It's everybody is in their own space. So that's been nice. 
I would say the only challenge is like if you're a student who is not a self-starter or you mm-hmm. need more hand-holding, which is perfectly fine, um, that's difficult. And there were kids who were on my roster and I didn't see them once all year. They just never checked in. So, Or they would wow. check in and then they would leave. You know, they would log in a Zoom and they would go and you'd like say their name and like nobody yeah. would answer. Crickets chirping. Uh, <laughs> yes, it's always so awkward. Um, but, and I think just from talking with the kids, they they liked online teaching. They liked having their own laptop because the school let them have a device. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of them missed socializing because it's really awkward to socialize with strangers on Zoom, especially because yeah. they're in sixth grade. They all came from different elementary schools, so they don't mm-hmm. really know their classmates. Um, and then, so starting in March, we went to hybrid. So I was in person, and I had... Um, at most, my class was 10 people in person and the rest was online. The least number was like two in person and the rest was online. And the in-person kids like really like gelled and they had their own group because they were seeing each other in person. And they really, I know they really liked that. Um, next year, they're going to give them the option again. And a lot of my kids are saying that they want to be in person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about on your on your side as a teacher? Was it harder to cope with the challenge challenging sides of teaching um, when you were at home? Um, how did you? Uh, I guess one of the questions that someone submitted when we asked for questions on Instagram I applied to teaching as a whole, and so feel free to answer this mm-hmm. about teaching in general or teaching during the pandemic. But how do you take care of your mental health as a teacher? So. Teaching online was easier in some ways, harder in other ways. It was easier in that, like, the classroom management piece, keeping kids safe, was really eliminated. There wasn't that much of that. Mm -hmm. But it was harder in that I felt like I always had to be available, even more so than before. Like, teachers have always felt like they needed to be available. But with the pandemic, it was even more difficult. And it was hard because I didn't know who else was listening to the lesson. So especially in the fall, I would teach and then I would get emails from parents like critiquing my lesson because they had been listening in the oh. back. So that was, that was not fun. Um, that wasn't great. What sorts but of criticisms te- did they have? <laughs> um, one was about one one lesson was a banned books lesson that I did with the librarian uh-huh. and she was mentioning like oh this book is banned for this reason and this book is banned for this reason um and then she was like you know like whatever books you read just check with your families first and a mom misheard and thought she was telling the kids like these are the bad books that you should read and so <laughs> she was like I don't believe that's appropriate and I was like I have the whole Zoom lesson recorded. You can go back and check. Yeah, we always record all our lessons. (laughs) Yes, I was like, I will send you the receipts. (laughs) And she was not interested. Um, But I think with teaching, it's because it's a job where they ask a lot of you. Admin asks a lot of you. The students ask a lot of you. The families ask a lot of you. Mm -hmm. And um, it's also a job where teachers, including me, especially me, have a hard time saying no to things that maybe we should say no to, maybe we need to put up more boundaries. So mental health-wise, it's definitely very draining on a lot of teachers. A lot of teachers I know take antidepressant pills. A lot of teachers I know have said that 
um, their marriage has suffered, they don't really see mm-hmm. their kids as much, um, and a, one girl I knew, she was trying to get pregnant, and her doctor was like, this job may not be the place for you to get pregnant, because it's just so high pressure, it's definitely very draining, um, mm-hmm. it's a job where you have to do a lot of things, it's a job that you have to, you feel like you have to do it perfectly, because you know, you're responsible for the physical and mental and emotional well-being of this year I had 90 kids. So that's that's a lot of little ones to to care about and to take care of. So for mental health, I really recommend that teachers set up times where you're just not checking your emails. Um, Because it's really easy to be like, it's 6 p.m. and you're like, let me just answer this email real quick to a parent. it's also, I would really recommend that you don't work too late, but a lot of people told me that as a new teacher, and I was like, well, if I'm not working till 8 p.m., then I'm not going to get it done, and then I'm not doing my job. So I, I hear you new teachers who are listening to this and eye-rolling. I hear <laughs> you, but when you can, take the breaks that you need. My first year, I worked every day until 8 p.m. My past year, which was my third year, I worked until five and I didn't work Saturdays I worked Sundays but not Saturdays Mm -hmm. so each year try to cut back a little bit and it's really okay if it's not perfect what is an average day in the life of a teacher like um how how much of the school day are you directly interacting with students and then how does lesson planning work and grading and all all that stuff um so it's it was different during the pandemic so I'll just talk about mm-hmm. it normally. During the normal school year, I would get to school at 7.30. I try to be at school by 7.30. Kids get to school at 7.50. Um, I was with kids. I taught three 90-minute cla- three classes every day, and every other day I taught one additional 45-minute class. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my first year, I also did after-school sessions once a week, for kids who wanted to do extra credit or redo assignments, I always let them redo assignments or make up missing work. Um, and then I go home and I lesson plan and I grade and I contact parents. So, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of people say like you can do that in person. It really just depends on the school and the schedule you have because when I'm not teaching at school, I'm in meetings. So, there's not a ton of time to actually get stuff done at school. Sometimes there is, but usually there isn't. So um, I'll come home, and I usually just I get home at, like, 3.30. Yeah, 3.30. And then I usually will take a break and just kind of do nothing until 4. And then I'll start working again. And then my first year I would work till 8. and then, But this past year I've been trying to stop at 5. Sometimes it'll go till 6, just before dinner. I love what you said about having times for uh, being off email and setting yeah. like a, an end time for when you work. And I think I think that applies to literally anyone who's listening. Doesn't matter if you're not planning on being mm-hmm. a teacher. Just emails can get a lot. So I think time yes. time away from them intentional intentionally is super important. Um, so we've kind of set the scene of what teaching was like during the normal days and during the pandemic. So let's move on to talking about why, uh, you made the decision that you made recently. I want to let you say it. So I'm being like super suspenseful about it. (laughs) Um, 
Yeah, like I said earlier, teaching has been my dream job ever since I was little. I was super excited. Um, and then my first year was very difficult. Um, I got death threats from students. I A student, like, came up to my face and was like, like, I'm going to fight you. Another kid threw his phone at me. And admin was... I, like, had reached out to admin for help multiple times, and I wasn't really getting any help or support. It was more like, then you must not be doing something right. And I I was kind of at the point where I was like, I'm willing to try anything. I just need help. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so I left that school. My second year was great. And then this past year was the pandemic. So I, I found that more days than not, I was waking up and just feeling like I don't want to go to work. It's too difficult to get out of bed. Um, When I was at work, I would get panic attacks. I would feel lightheaded. Um, I would find myself counting down the minutes until I could go home. But then when I got home, it would be more work. And then Mm. seeing, um, working at home and seeing my husband work has really exacerbated the issue. Um, So my husband, he is fantastic. He's a software engineer. And his hours are 8 to 5, like, that's it. Mm. Um, And once he's done work, like, he just logs off and he just is like, I'm not worrying about it. It's fine. I'm not, like, that's it. I'm done. Um, While I'm still like, this needs to get done and this needs to be graded. Mm. And, you know, so working alongside of him has really made that worse. And I was, I found myself thinking, like, I have a master's degree and I'm working the, these many hours, whereas my husband has, he, he's getting his MBA, but right now he only has a bachelor's. He's making double what I make, and his hours are so much less. Um, mm-hmm. And then I was talking to other teachers who, and a lot of them were saying, like, I wish I had gotten out, or um, my husband had to pick up a lot of the slack at home with our kids. Another mom was saying that she said her husband felt like a single parent when their kid was little. And I was just like, okay, this is not for me. I can't, I can't do this. Um, so that is why at, (laughs) in February, I resigned from my job. It wasn't because some people have tried to ask me if it was like a school politics thing. It really was not. I, I like my principal, a lot. I liked my coworkers. I liked the kids. They were great. It was just that being a teacher in America, you have to do too many things. And I, I'm choosing myself. I'm choosing to be selfish. So that's why I left. And it was very difficult. I felt yeah. like a, it was just, it was really hard. It was very difficult giving up on something that I've worked towards my whole life. Mm-hmm. But it needed to be done or else yeah one of the questions uh someone sent in on instagram was what would you say to a young person considering teaching like Mm -hmm. would you advise them to rethink their decision completely or to (laughs) take a different path or do something differently what what would your advice be to them um i think that if you're wanting to be a teacher um i think that's fantastic still I, and I would really recommend that you advocate for yourself and take care of yourself mm-hmm. because it's very easy, you know, what, what's the statistic, like 50% of teachers leave by year five, and wow. it's really unfortunate because, like, I'm really good at my job, and it's unfortunate that I'm not able to do what I want to do, 
because of Mm -hmm. my mental health because of what this job has done so if you're wanting to be a teacher hats off to you and make sure you advocate for yourself it's okay to say no and be like "I'm, i'm not doing this right now or it's okay to say it's a lot i want to do it but i need help you know reach out to coworkers, reach out to your admin team because their community you're you're not going to be able to get through it on your own mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. on a personal level would you do something else in the education field or what are you thinking of doing i have no idea what is going to be next for me and it's terrifying because i've had like a life plan since i was seven mm-hmm. and <laughs> right now that life plan is out the window so no I have no idea what I'm doing I know that um I don't want to teach right now Mm -hmm. um that could change a year from now that could change three years from now that could change five years you know I don't know I might come back to teaching um I might never come back but right now I just have no idea I'm looking at things in education I'm also looking at things not in education so mm-hmm. who knows what will happen once yeah. I know I will let people know <laughs> we will hear about it on Instagram yes <laughs> um, you said that you had this life plan from age seven is like when people said what do you want to be when you grow up did you already know that you wanted to be a teacher yes a hundred percent I wanted to be a teacher ever since I was little that's amazing um I feel like when I was younger I know when I was younger I answered that question saying like a scientist or an astronaut um just because I thought space (laughs) and planets were cool and then I got they are cool (laughs) then I got to middle school uh ironically um and I had my first science class that was really challenging where our teacher was like a legit scientist and made us actually uh like write proper experiments and um write reports and stuff and I was like oh this is not what I thought science was. And so yeah. I realized that wasn't really the path for me. But it's always interesting, oh, no. um, like, what what little kids say to that question. What do they want to be when they grow up? And then um, how many of them stick with it? And then for how many mm-hmm. of them does that completely change? Um, and at what point? Because I think you brought That's up a true. good point that middle school is such a, like, transitional um, exploration period. So I think it makes sense that middle school was when I kind of dropped that idea that I had. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and I always ask my students what they want to do when they get older, Mm. just because I'm curious. Um, And a lot of them say what their parents do, which I think is really sweet. And Mm. I'm curious to see if that changes as they get older, but a lot of them will say, like, I want to be a dentist because my mom's a dentist, or I want to be a plumber because my dad's a plumber, and that's really, really cool um, to see that. So, but it's interesting to see, because you're right, middle school is about exploration, and as you get older, you know, your personality changes. I guess a a takeaway for people listening to this is just that stuff always changes, Uh, even if you feel like you have a very concrete plan. um, Like, once I... Uh, once I let go of the scientist idea, then I was like, I definitely want to work in media, something in media. Oh, Um, perfect. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Um, And I was so, like, latched onto that, and even my parents were like, well, what if your mind changes? And I was like, no, it will not change. This is what I love doing. (laughs) Um, But I feel like lately I've been thinking, "It's it's okay if it does change. Like, it hasn't changed yet, I don't feel like. But I think it's important to be open to anything that happens in the future. Yeah. When I 
first decided to leave teaching, I felt like a failure and I felt like, you know, I had this idea where my life was supposed to be, but it, you know, like when you're reading a book, you don't want to read a character that has one goal throughout the whole book and then you're just kind of like, and then the end they get it and they just stay with it and you're like, okay, well, that was not that interesting. So I think, um, for anybody who's like thinking maybe I want to try something different, but I don't know, this is not what I planned. I think it's okay to try something different. You don't want to just stay in a situation just because that was the plan and it's like 10 years later and you realize that you didn't make the character development that you wanted to. So I'm kind of hoping that that's what happens. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I have a friend, um, I don't think she'll mind me telling this, I'll tell it anonymously, but (laughs) she, she went to university to study computer science and business. Um, and then I believe she went on a trip with her family and visited two different museums. So, uh, hmm. I think one of them was a computer science museum, actually. And then the other okay. one was, like, the Walt Disney Museum of Animation. And she oh. had not taken any art classes in high school, so didn't, didn't really, like, consider any form of art or animation as a hobby. But she was so surprised that she found the animation museum fascinating and the computer science museum just kind of bleh. And so then (laughs) after that, she actually started taking some art classes at college and she switched switched the business part of her major to a design. So now she's doing, I think, computer science and design. So I was just like so proud of her watching that character development happen Yeah, Um, because I think it's just so cool when people stumble across something on accident. And I think that's why it's so important that people in middle school and high school just try out different classes, even if you're even if that doesn't fit the life path that you think you're going to take. Why not try it? I took Greek. um, I took ancient Greek in college because like you were kind of saying, like, five seconds before registration opened, I saw it, and I was like, mm, why not? Yeah. And I loved it. I fell in love with it. I took it for so long until it, like, didn't really fit in my schedule anymore. Yeah. But, yeah, exactly. Just go ahead and take whatever classes that, I mean, like, be responsible. <laughs> I knew somebody who was, I knew somebody who was a storytelling major, and I was like, what is the plan? And, like, that is so cool to go for your passion, but, like, be responsible. Go do your thing. <laughs> Just make sure it's it's practical and you have a plan. I've wanted to leave for a while. I waited three years to make sure mm. it was really something I wanted to do. I also waited till I got married to do it because now we have two incomes. Nice. <laughs> I was more able to do it. But yeah, I I think it's just, you know, do what you do what you wanna do and don't live don't be so afraid of regrets. But make sure you have a plan. Make sure you have an exit strategy. Yes, it's a very balanced piece of advice. I like that. Yeah. One more thing I wanted to ask you um, in regards to like what the difficult things are about teaching. Are there any like major policy changes or like national national scale changes that you would like to see in education that you think would make it better for teachers or for students or just improve the field of education as a whole? Um, oh, I think there's so many. Mm-hmm. I So right now there's a huge emphasis, and it has been for a few years, on standardized testing. Um, and I'm sure, like, you know this growing up here. You've taken, I don't know, how many tests every year. And I think that 
tests are such a poor way of measuring what students know and what students can do and they're such a poor way of assessing how how education is being done and i would really love to see some alternatives being explored um i would really love to see if there was a more holistic approach like if every kid had a portfolio and we could see how much they grew mm -hmm. and how much they they can do because like okay like even with me i was always very academic but it's hard to see that with like a 35 question test you know um i always loved reading but reading is not something that like lends itself how well you read isn't measured on a test it's how mm -hmm. you kind of write about it how you can discuss it um so i would love to see something more holistic especially for people who have more creative um, non-academic talents and gifts um and i think also you know we we've learned that emotional intelligence is a better indication of how you'll do in the future and mm -hmm. i would love to see more classes on um emotional intelligence like how to cope with anxiety how to cope with imposter syndrome or how to cope with loss or fear of the future because we've said that you know kids aren't incomplete people they're whole people and i would really like for i think it'd be very beneficial if we taught our next generation to know how to handle their emotions and mm -hmm. they can go out there with those tools and in addition to the academic ones i think that'd be really important um, and then, like, most recently, there's been the CRT debate, CRT's critical race theory, and there have been a lot of parents and families voicing concerns that teachers are teaching critical race theory in class, um, to the point where, like, one school district in Virginia, they had, like, a protest and, like, families, like, stormed the school board meeting. I want to just tell these families that most teachers are not teaching critical race theory. What you think is critical race theory is not always critical race theory. A lot of the concerns is that you're bringing politics or you're bringing a certain agenda to the classroom, but I feel like the classroom, there is already a set agenda with what we teach and what we don't teach. So I don't see any harm in presenting different sides and having students being letting students being exposed to two different things. Like they can learn about World War II, they can learn about the Chinese Exclusion Act, they can learn about the internment camps, they can learn what happened to black soldiers when they returned home versus white soldiers, but they can also learn the really great things that America has done as well. And they can kind of see that there's nuance and nobody is just one way or another. So that's something that I, I would really like to see a change for, just having more perspectives. Um, like, I, I was an English teacher and the curriculum is very dominated by white authors and I would love to see more of a change. And I know that my district has started to try to change that, but even the texts they're pulling are kind of like, okay, so there was one story by Amy Tan and it was about like how she is very, very different from mm -hmm. her white classmates and she's very embarrassed by how different she is. And I would love to see some stories where it's just like not about how being a person of color is a challenge. I would yeah. love to see some stories where it's like you're just a person of color and that's okay. There's like your race is not a problem. I would really love to see more thoughtful selections in our stories. I remember like my first year teaching, um, my kids were like, why am I caring about this girl? I don't know her. I've never been to this place. And I was like, you're right, you're right. But, <laughs> Fair point. Um, yeah. Um, this past year, I, I had them read New Kid 
by Jerry Craft, and they really loved New Kid um, because they could see themselves in New Kid, but when we read some of the curriculum given text, they were like, again, I don't really connect with this. I'm not really feeling this. So mm-hmm. I think it'd be really beneficial to get kids stories that are more interesting and diverse and just richer, richer stories. Yeah, I agree with all of that, especially the standardized testing point. Um, I remember <laughs> taking those. I remember there was one specific one where most of the standardized tests had time limits, but this one had no time limits. So you could basically spend as long just mm-hmm. trying to figure out the questions as you wanted. And, like, for the kids who were perfectionists, that was, like, we needed boundaries. Because I literally remember (laughs) we had the math one. And the math one's, like, a whole can of worms. Because if you don't understand a problem, you you could sit and, like, try to figure something out if you sat there long enough. And so I remember being in, like, a small group of people who were all taking the test. And the the teacher who was proctoring it, like, he could see our progress on his his computer screen or whatever. And he literally came over and he was like, you're going to have to hurry up so that you finish this at some point. Because I was just sitting and staring at the same question for so long, not wanting to, like, give up on it. I thought I could figure out stuff about math that I hadn't learned yet. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what that shows about, like, my capabilities as a math student, you know? Right. Oh, man. <laughs> and you know, like, it's so stressful. Um, and I've seen kids, like, who are so smart score not as well as I thought they would because, mm. like, it was too cold that day. Or because, you know, like, just like dumb things. Like, um, oh my gosh, one girl told me she was getting a puppy, like, that day that she was taking the test so she was like i couldn't think about anything else other than the puppy waiting for me (laughs) so yeah i agree it's just it's not a good assessment um and i can definitely see some students just sitting there hunkering down on one question and not letting it go yeah yeah it's 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 an interesting way to measure skills but i like the portfolio (laughs) idea because i feel like Mm -hmm. the best experiences i've had in school were when i like produced something or worked with a group and like we really we really clicked and we were thinking together um I guess it's more difficult maybe to execute a portfolio type system but I think it'd be better for the students um so let's move on to our final round of the interview which is the lightning round so I like to ask everyone on the podcast just a couple of fun questions so the first one we're going to do is, what is one book recommendation that you have for the listeners? Um, so, I, like, I've been thinking about this ever since you <laughs> told me. Um, it's really hard to recommend just one book, but I read Swimming to Freedom uh, last month. It's by Kent Wong, and it's about his experience growing up in Hong Kong and then China, and then mm-hmm. he escaped from China um, during the Cultural Revolution by swimming to Hong Kong, and it took multiple tries and explained how he and a lot of other people did it. This was really, really interesting because it was super informative. You get an inside view into his experience mm-hmm. um, during this time. and but like, So it's very informative, but it's also interesting because he talks about his own experiences. So it kind of reads like a story, even though you're learning a lot. So that was yeah. Swimming to Freedom. I really recommend that one. Nice. And you probably recommend a lot more books on your Instagram, right? 
Yes, I do. Everyone head over there. Um, (laughs) The second question is, what is a quote that you really like? Um, Waiting for Godot, there's a quote, it says, but at this place, at this moment of time, all mankind is us, whether we like it or not. And I really, really love this quote. I, I think about it a lot during the pandemic where it's like, you could wait for somebody else to make the changes that you want or you could just go ahead and do it um mm. like you because this says all mankind is us whether we like it or not so like it's up to you <laughs> sorry my husband is probably home <laughs> um so it, it it's up to you and you can go and make the difference rather than waiting on somebody else to do it mm-hmm. um and i think that's really really special especially during the pandemic where we saw so many people kind of rally together yeah um and that's something i'd like to carry in the future as things open up again Yes, I love that. And last question, what is a destination on your travel bucket list? Um, I would really love to go to England. That's some place I've always wanted to go. I have never been to Europe, so definitely England is like number one on my bucket list right now. Mm-hmm. I love I love British accents. I, I went to London for just like <laughs> a few days, but you just like oh, immerse yourself in hearing it. Um, mm-hmm. did not rub off on me. Maybe uh, I, I stayed there longer, but yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank it was really you. great talking to you um, and just hearing about education from the perspective of a teacher because I only you. had the perspective of a student. Um, so thank you so much for everyone listening and I'll talk to you next week. So three takeaways from today's episode. First of all, we talked during the interview about how I think Esther's advice on not checking emails during certain times of the day or setting a time when you end your workday is advice that really just applies to anyone. And I also like that she acknowledged that when you're a new teacher or if you're listening to this and you're not planning on becoming a teacher, there are just certain situations in life where that might not be possible, but as much as possible, try to be cutting down the amount of time that you're working and just slowly, slowly inching towards having more of a work-life balance. The second takeaway is that even though most of us had an answer to the question, what do you want to be when you grow up, uh, when we were asked that as little kids, you don't have to cling to that answer. Uh, Your life path can change no matter how sure you are of what your passion, what your calling is at the moment. It's fine to pursue that, but just be open to anything else that might change in your life because then it makes it easier to adapt in the future if something doesn't turn out the way that you planned. You can still be very content, very happy with the other direction that your life has taken um, if you decide that your initial idea is not right for you or if you just happen to find something that interests you even more. And finally, a third takeaway in a similar vein uh, is we talked about the value of taking classes that maybe aren't necessarily what you envision your career path to be. So Esther talked about the ancient Greek class that she took and ended up really enjoying. I talked about my friend who went to an animation museum and and ended up taking an art class because of that. And one experience that I have that fits in this theme is when I was in high school, I took a sports medicine class, intro to sports medicine. Um, I'm trying to remember why I took that. It wasn't related to media at all, obviously. And it also was not math or science related. 
uh, those were kind of my strong subjects in school, but it just seemed interesting. Uh, I think definitely a lot of students took it because it was sort of viewed as like the easy way to get a gym credit because you didn't actually have to do physical activity. But let me tell you, that was one of the hardest classes I've ever taken. That, that class should not have been underestimated by anyone because that was the most studying I feel like I had to do outside of school. Like I really had to work hard to memorize all the different bones and tendons and whatever. Um, and now I'm getting off track a little bit, but I just wanted to say that it was such an interesting class and I ended up being really glad that I took it. I unfortunately got plantar fasciitis a while after taking that class and I was able to diagnose myself basically. Like I went to the doctor and the doctor started telling me, yeah, what you have looks like plantar fasciitis. This is the treatment, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yep, I already knew that. Like I already had to study all of those symptoms and treatments for a test that I took. So sometimes uh, venturing outside of your comfort zone and taking different kinds of classes uh, opens up different career paths or interests that you wouldn't have previously even considered. And other times it's just nice to have extra knowledge, you know? It's always nice to know things. So that is it for today's episode. It was so much fun to interview someone again, and I really hope to do more of these podcast episodes. I also, I think I'm going to simplify the format of this ending section of the podcast. Um, if you're not currently subscribed to my newsletter, my weekly Monday newsletter, I would definitely recommend that. In there, I write a weekly article, I do five recommendations, and I also share one weekly action step that you can try out uh, in your week, in your life. So I'm just saying that because I feel like the ending part of the podcast kind of was similar to my newsletters, like I would do Blissbean updates and a recommendation, and I already do that in the newsletter, so I just want to keep things simple and minimal on the podcast. Um, I do want to stick with the three takeaways because I think that's a really nice way to summarize what I've talked about with the guest. But yeah, let me know what you think of this slightly updated format. Let me know if there's anyone that you would like to see being a guest on the show. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your family and friends and leave a review on iTunes. You can learn more about The Bliss Bean and connect with me on YouTube and Instagram at The Bliss Bean and TheBlissBean.com. If you'd like to sign up to receive the show notes in your inbox every Wednesday morning, that's TheBlissBean.com slash podcast. If you have a listener question, comment, or suggestion, you can send a voice memo to hello at TheBlissBean.com. Thanks so much for listening. See you next week.